we have done a lot of testing in the last one year. The algorithms and the computer capacities, the skills are nowhere there to kind of replace researchers for a very long time. Saurabh, if you know this uh, footballer by the name Johan Cruyff. Johan Cruyff brought in this concept of concept called total football. Total football is where you know you have your core competence and then your ability to play in any position. And I came to the stunning conclusion that actually politics can do a lot of mess, but good politics is not necessarily equal to good performance. Can politicians transform a country dramatically or a state or a city? I think rarely. Favorite work that we did was not in polling, by the way. It was not. We were helping a very large party to kind of engage with the ruling party in the floor of the assembly, and you know, to day-to-day legislative work. Crowdism is a gaming website that enables people to participate or to enjoy from their own ability to predict events. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Recast. Today, I have with me Subhas Chandra, who spent almost like more than two decades within the market research business. If I ask this question to him, he may not completely agree with me because I don't know whether he's still in market research or he sort of pivoted from there because I think he's invested a lot in on the technology side of market research. So I'm very happy to have you on my show today, Subhash. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. It's great talking to you. Let's sort of dive into this. I sort of went through your profile. You sort of started your career in mid-90s. And I think you've, you've seen this industry, you know, evolving by leaps and bounds. And I think even now, I think we say that we are in that whole transformative phase where, you know, so much is happening around us and technology is actually impacting uh, not just our industry, but industries across the board significantly. So I just want to understand, A, of course, I would want my audience to know more about you. But at the same time, I just want you to explain your journey through that changed lens, uh, that Subhash in mid-90s versus Subhash in 2021, what is different or what is similar? So sort of in a very peculiar of circumstances, I started my career in a tech research firm. I was not a tech guy, but uh, there's a company called IDC, International Data Corp. And this is 97, 98. So these were times when the, the modem would make that noise when you connected to the internet, right? It was almost like there was an emotional high when it, the noise ended because it connected and then there were 16 kbps downloads. And we were doing, I think at that time, there were 32,000 internet users. And we are a very peculiar generation because while I'm close to 50, we are also the first generation to have started day one at work with an email address and internet access, which is really unusual. You would think old people, related middle-aged people, did not have access to the internet, but we were the first generations where we accessed email, we had internet and so on. So it was very clear at the very outset that this was going to be a big thing. And we were, for good or bad, we went through the 1999-2000 period, which was the whole dot-com boom and bust and so on and so forth. That was, I had taken a job for a short period with a dot-com and got laid off <laughs> in a few months. So I went through the journey then. But it was very clear at the price from where we started that this internet and you know everything was going to be dramatically uh, very important. But the impact on our day-to-day lives and our work really didn't happen for a very long time. If you think of between 97 and all the way, I would say, even until 2012-13, that it hadn't in India at least reached that level of kind of importance. And I would say that would apply globally as well. And I think everything transformed from probably about 2010 and 11, when smartphones reached 
a certain level and i just don't mean in india but all over the world you can look at the smartphone stats and i think one of the most visible evidence of how important smartphones were is to look at all the political movements that have started after 2010 completely empowered or whatever you call it negatively or positively voters around the world starting from tunisia so that is when i think uh, the industry started to evolve very very differently very very quickly and if you actually look at the industry numbers since then it is completely transformed so if you look at cantar and i remember i had written probably one of the first blogs on research way in 1999 okay this was on geocities it was it was a top visited page for a very long time and at that time the top age research companies were of course nielsen there was ims there was some version of cantar and and so on and the interesting part was that that is completely transformed today i mean in, in 20 22 23 years when you look at market cap as an example not revenues you will find that the number one player is a company called qualtrics which is valued at 27 billion survey monkey is somewhere in between 6 and 10 billion and then you have nielsen and cantar and ipsos and so on so i think the trans- real transformation happened after 2011 12 i would think when smartphones took off because that's when the tech based players kind of came into play but the fact was that throughout this period now at the initial stages it was all about do i have a computer with me or not do i have a laptop with me or not do i have internet connection at home that transformation was anyway happening but the transformation was happening at an individual level maybe a little bit at the industry level but i think it's only after smartphones that it's completely changed so it has been an interesting journey and i was fortunate to have got all the right opportunities very very fortunate i think in many many ways i think today whatever has been accomplished it's been accomplished because i am in the industry i have no hesitation at all in saying that the ind- and i have the last 7 years been kind of outside the mainstream agencies i'm not worked in an agency of sorts i've been running it on my own with people from other industry whether it's financial services whether it is telecom and people like that and i think that uh, i felt very comfortable engaging with them in saying that a good researcher can engage with anybody and i'm not taking pride in this i'm saying let's say i'm an average researcher but our ability to engage and ability to deliver and very common sensical logical answers is i think a blessing and uh, that's how i see it. so it's been so far a fantastic journey i've got all the opportunities whether it is nielsen cantar even smaller agencies like market probe that i've worked with they've given me uh, i think credible opportunities and you know i traveled abroad worked abroad and fantastic leaders etc yes a lot of negatives and we'll talk about it at some point but i think where i am here i have to say that first right because i'm a researcher and i'm very very proud of calling myself a researcher it is the dna that's the core and i when i get calls and two days back i received a call from a very senior civil servant and he was very clear he said subhash is a very good researcher and i felt good because that's who i am i can you can be doing 100 other things so that's the core so yeah superb uh, journey tech has been central great uh, opportunities to learn and grow so yeah and i am not a traditional researcher by the way and why i am not a traditional researcher is there is an unusual part of my entire research career is i have spent not more than 2% of my time doing uh, cpg research which is central to research and in fact if you didn't do cpg research you're not a researcher uh, i mean that's something that people tell us but i haven't maybe you know i handle a couple of large accounts but by and large i mean outside that space i've built my my strength there and kept it there and we made a huge differences to businesses over the last 15 20 years that's fascinating in fact i think i would want to go back to the point that you just made that how you know the market cap of organizations like waltrix and survey monkey is is significantly higher than you know some of the existing players in the industry around which this industry used to revolve in early or sort of late 90s 
I was speaking about this with another gentleman, and I think he had a very interesting viewpoint on this. And he said that the core of our work is to help businesses reach a decision so that, you know, they can actually bring about positive impact. That's where I think, you know, data and evidence helps, right? And hence, I think the focus that we typically have and, you know, the focus that we are also trained on is delivering the right message. However, now because data is everywhere, you also need platforms that can carry that data and, you know, sort of actually sort of make that very data more democratic, right? Or like, why are markets focusing on platform more than the message? I think there are different perspectives. Don't forget that SurveyMonkey has been there for 20 or 23 years. I think they've been there from a very long time. So I just keep SurveyMonkey and Qualtrics at different places. Qualtrics has come in because and has been successful because I think over the last 20, 30 years, the customer experience industry has evolved a lot. I mean, I've worked with them. I have a book, by the way, written in that area. And 15 years ago, when I would run any CX project, we would find a lot of deficiencies in service delivery. I'm not saying we don't today, but the scale of the deficiencies have come down because of technology, because of learning curve or whatever you call it. So the researcher involvement and inciting and value has fallen quite a bit. And I'll give an example. 20 years ago, we would run a whole day workshop for any top brand in trying to make a difference to their business. So let's say a brand is not delivering well on some element of service. We'd spend a whole day setting up a workshop, going through reams of data and coming up with action plans. They would then spend a month fixing it. Then we go back to customers and that was the cycle. In 2006, we built an elaborate six-way or five-way system to monitor how retail outlets were doing. So that's the level of engagement I'm talking about 15 years back. Now, those brands today are delivering, if I just take a number, an 85% to 90% satisfaction level. That's the level they're delivering. They're doing very well as businesses. So when you go and tell them, I'm going to help you, you know, improve your service further, the scope is much lesser. And therefore, the willingness to pay a premium comes down. And look at Qualtrics. Qualtrics didn't take off in 2006. They didn't take off in 2010. I, didn't, I don't think they launched, but that's not when they had the scope. The scope happened in 2012, 13, 14, 15, when everything started getting better, technology got better, the customer experience levels improved. Then a Qualtrics came in nicely fitted in with a platform because then you didn't need a researcher. Uh, in fact, I remember when these platforms started taking off in 13. Initially, some companies were very uncomfortable and I would get a call and say, okay, we'll go to Qualtrics with one of these big players. And why don't you come and help us in you know, kind of doing the consulting bit? But now that's changed. You don't need it maybe once in a while because by and large, the solutions are thought through. The kind of issues you face has minimized quite a bit unless you're a very, very new business. There's humongous amount of learning residing in people itself. So that is why I think Qualtrics has kind of taken off and Qualtrics and, you know, players like that. SurveyMonkey, I think, is not a platform in that sense at all because I think they're far away from being integrated into the organization. SurveyMonkey is in a completely different space. They're in the space to really empower anybody to you know, carry out research on their own. I think Qualtrics is trying to play the game as well. But anyway, SurveyMonkey, I think, is a little different. And they have been in this for a very long time. And, and, and I think they have kind of been through the journey that we, kind of, we have been through as well. And they've been struggling because of value, insights. How do I be a kind of a DIY, original DIY platform and still try to add value? And that's the struggle they've been going through, but they've done well. But I would put these two in two different places. And I think part of the reason why you don't see a Qualtrics overwhelming in brand tracking and you know, segmentation and places like that is simply because you still need the consulting input and they're not a consulting player. So the less the consulting input, the more the level of automation. So that's the thing. So if you look at qual research as an example, the moderation bit 
and the data uh, you know summarization but is being done by algorithms now there is no need i mean maybe a quad research can be asked the questions but i don't know how wrong that will be there but definitely from consulting angle and adding value preparing a presentation you know adding dimensions of insights that will still come from human intervention but the data collection component and there are so many players who have i think in my estimate raised half a billion dollars in the last three or four years are all there across the market doing at least getting the data out and then saying okay now you want someone to go through it fine if you don't want anybody to go through it we'll kind of summarize it bring sentiments out and things like that so we have to look at this platform game from how industry overall is evolving brand tracking and places like that will take time because you still need a lot of thinking researcher thinking there and and brands today are still struggling and you know, there are many brands with 20% awareness and 1% spawn you know uh, particularly newer players in the market so that that struggle will remain so that's how i see it and i think technology etc are just kind of you know making things faster in the in sense of people attempting to kind of automate many of this processes and they will as we will as many other players will but can we replace uh, many of these kind of research studies uh, replace the human with these machines to be very honest we have done a lot of testing in the last one year the algorithms and the computer capacities the skills are nowhere there to kind of replace researchers for a very long time i mean that's a very interesting thought and i think one element where i'll also seek your opinion is the whole debate of simplicity versus complexity i think one thing that i have seen you know what these platforms tend to do much better is they actually really make things simple for the end user somebody who has got nothing to do with data nothing to do with research but they can still carry out their tasks by just logging onto those platforms and you know these are what we call as the do it yourself sort of platforms however i think a lot of researchers that i speak to i think they take a lot of pride in saying that you know i can really take a problem and through a very complex route you can call it advanced analytics you can call it regressions you can call it a segmentation technique you can call it a structure hierarchical modeling people take a lot of pride in going through that complex journey to sort of decode answers for you know actually their client partners so how do you look at this whole equation of simplicity versus complexity do you think that you know because now research is quite widespread the use of evidence is quite widespread within the organizations you know the end businesses are really looking for simpler solutions rather than investing their time with researchers who sort of tend to really take them through a very complex route and a complex journey so there are two parts to it one is the researcher's part and one is the client perspective from a researcher's perspective i don't know sorry if you know this uh, footballer by the name johan cruyff johan cruyff brought in this concept of concept called total football total football is where you know you have your core competence and then your ability to play in any position so whether it is defending if you are a midfielder can you go and score a goal can you defend very quickly and the that kind of flexibility gives a team a lot of advantages when they are kind of uh, competing on the playground and i think today's researcher should uh, move away in my view that is a very traditional way of thinking saying i'll run five hierarchical models and i did a lot of structural equation modeling in my life i love doing it even today but i have also learned a few things in the last 7 years which i think many mainstream researchers are not recognizing and i learned this unfortunately in a very peculiar circumstance so i'll give an example so we have a lot of people coming to my website and we are a publishing website we publish research data gaming data things like that we publish a lot of uh, data which is we what we call b2c research okay, let's call it b2c research and they come there they collect their data maybe a few of them register on our website and they play a few games and go away and we have some idea of the demographics and we have a huge database of them and we also when we carry out research for our clients also reach out to panel partners 
whoever they are. We'll just call them panel partners. Sometimes even on ground, you know, field agencies as well. And it can apply to any country. And I'm just, I'm just giving you as an example. So what tends to happen is that once the data comes in, and the way data collection happens is the researcher gets to see the data live. I mean, we are, those days are gone. They can actually see respondent to respondent as it happens. So when our team looks at this data in great detail, they've come to one very, very interesting conclusion. Response rates when we send out surveys to our own platform members are very, very low, as low as 0.3%, maybe 0.1%. Okay, let's say we get 150 responses. We reject maybe five. Any other system we use, we end up rejecting 15 to 20%. Okay, so now the question, the reason I'm saying this to you is that when I'm doing complex hierarchical analysis and I'm not running a publishing platform like I do, uh, if somebody is not doing it, you're basically collecting data from a place where a lot of the data is coming from people who are constantly giving out service and you're going to build strategy on that basis. So my thing is that we have to have some humility in saying that complex analysis is required when it is required and it cannot be the only thing that defines us as people. As people, we are here to help our clients answer and solve certain problems and we have to do it in whatever it takes in the right, in an ethically right way and also do it in a manner that makes a difference to their business. So that's the reason I say your approach should be total football, which means that if I feel qualitative research can solve this problem, then I should go and do it. And I'll give an example of a recent case study. The client wanted a large quant, and my, my colleague, she, she turned and said, no, you don't need a quant. And we both are quant researchers. So, you know, very, very, very excited looking at quant work. And she said, no, you just need a simple qual, and this will do the job. And after that, we could think of doing a quant if it's required. My point is that, you know, we, we should not, as researchers, ethically, be stuck to what we are good at, uh, but rather to help the client, you know, kind of move forward. And yeah, if I can't do something, I go to someone who can do it, uh, rather than, you know, trying to push through a solution. That is my thing. I'm not criticizing somebody who, who's very good at it. It's very, very good. It's admirable, you know, when I see some people do some phenomenal segmentation work. It's very, very admirable. One enjoys the journey. And if you've done it as well, you know how good, exciting it is complex demand forecasting, all of us enjoy it. I mean, we like, you know, it is the night when you, you know, you feel really good. You feel alive, let's use the word, as researchers. But I think we have to be practical and that's the client perspective. The client's perspective is it needs to get done. They need answers and they need answers to kind of, you know, take decisions. At the end of the day, the client's choice is very similar. Do I rely on my gut? Do I rely on a few things that are coming from inside the organization or should I go and rely on data? Now, you may come and say, look, I have this complex process. I have a simple process. The client only wants to know what can I trust and what can I rely. As researchers, quant, qual, whatever combination these days we have, analytics, we just have to give them what we believe is a rightly and fully thought through answer, irrespective of what the methodology and framework is. This is at least my philosophy. It was not the case seven years ago. Before I left the agencies, there was a lot of this about quant could do things really well. Qual is there to just give us an overview and maybe some bit of depth. And then essentially we'll use them to you know, run our service. And I've been in that boat as well. And then this whole sense of how many data sets you're combining to do a narrative. And we feel very, very good about it. But seven years, I think after having you know, been on my own, you know, own and then meeting so many different people, I feel that that's a very fragile approach. In fact, I think... Researchers who adapt as many of these other practices and ways of doing things will actually be, end up being winners, much bigger winners than they are today because they will, the clients will start looking at them at a very, very different level. You will no more be seen as the guy who's doing some quant research and doing some algorithms for the back end, but rather as a partner that can make a difference to the business. This is my experience 
and i've been through a lot of ups and downs to reach this stage i it's not it was not a view i held maybe 7 8 years back 7 8 years you felt like what you said the predominant viewers methodology framework high level modeling and all of that but i feel that's not the only thing about the market research i think one key takeaway at least for the audience at least who belong to the industry would be that i think now is the time to again reinvent expand yeah. your skill set sort of try newer things i mean if yeah. you've not done a course in ai or ml and if you don't know what those really mean and you know how you can really implement them i mean yeah. i think now is the time to sort of go and sort of get trained i think in in yeah. all of those it'll just widen your perspective and horizons yeah. but i think let's move forward and i think you've you've mentioned this a couple of times now i think in our discussion that 7 years back something happened where you left an agency and you started or you you ventured out on your own right just take us back to that day when you made that shift what really led to you leaving the agency and then you know what plans you had and you know, what did you do after that point it is into the domain of gossip now and but i share <laughs> i'll share with you. i'll share with you the gossip sure sure we we all love so gossips this, yeah <laughs> you, gossip. you so just may give was, us a headline you know for the show <laughs> So this was 2013. I left in 2014. This was 2013, and I was I had this four-hour session with someone very senior. And I remember I spent like four hours, and it was like you know you know you should do this, you should do that, and it was a lot of what you should do, etc. And I I kept thinking at that meeting, I said, but I do all of this. We already do all of this, and this person is really senior, and he was telling me what I should do. But I said I'm already doing all of this. Now what what am I going to do? And I was very anxious after that, saying. if he is telling me that i should be doing this and he's really senior and some day i would like to be in that position so i'm going to keep doing this for the rest of my you know rest of my career i got scared i went home and i was absolutely shocked because i was thinking that we were doing something much more than what i was doing then and then you know it kind of opened my mind to many other things i kept my mind open and luckily for me my organization was very kind to get me a, a coach kind of very very evolved and very very you know expert coach who spent a lot of time in trying to shape and reshape and i felt at that time and i was doing very very well in fact i would think that would have been the prime of my career so i and you know there is this so there is a mix of what i was seeing the mix of some hidden aspirations that were already there and then there was this whole coaching which was kind of taking me into a direction where i felt more could be accomplished so i think that would have been the longest notice period anybody would have given so i quit in i think january or february so and i my notice period was until august or something like that by choice by the way so that i could do the transitions i i would have left in two months or something i guess but i took a long notice period so it was also gave me enough time to think about what i want to do much more clearly but i was very clear that the area that i wanted to give some time was politics and i said i wanted to do this because that's an area of interest for me for the last i don't know since i was 8 or 9 and while my mom wanted me to do the civil etc that was not something that attracted me politics did and i was quite actively involved in politics in college and much later as well and always had some desire to so let me experience this first hand and the only way and the great thing is for a researcher politics is not far off i mean it is you know polling and polls and all so yeah that's the journey that i started but it was a combination of aspirations but some frustration as well and they say don't take decisions on the basis of frustration but I was quite disappointed and trust me that was the best decision I ever took because irrespective of what happened after that the ups and downs that came in in your career after that I think it was it was a very wise decision because it opened up my mind I'm much more skilled now than I was 7 uh, years ago I know from my colleagues my business partners now etc etc that 
there is a learning curve that comes in when you are on your own and you're kind of building something on your own. It's a completely different learning curve. But also, I think one of the biggest learnings through this journey was, you know, it teaches you some level of humility, which when you're really doing well, you kind of tend to lose. So, but yeah, that was the trigger, a combination of two or three things, aspiration, some degree of frustration with knowing what the future kind of <laughs> was, was looking like. And a bit of, I think, nudging by a coach who I think kind of made me look at myself. And I think this whole journey in the seven years is not just a journey in terms of what you learned and skills, etc., but also as a person. You're completely a different person than you were seven years. And I'll tell you, I'm happy to share this in public. So when a lot of people met me many years later, so the first thing is they talk to you for some time and they tell you that I thought you were very arrogant. And it was a shock because, you know, it's, it's somebody showing you a mirror and said, when you were working with us, we thought you were arrogant. They were not interacted with me, but that was the image. That was, that uh, was the that image was, was, that they carried yeah, in their it heads. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and whether it was right or wrong is not the debate. But it was not nice at all to know that is how you came across to other people. So yeah, some bit of correction, course correction about openness, accessibility. Also in terms of what you want in life, you know, that also changes from seven years ago to, you know, money, power and pride and whatnot, whatnot, whatnot. And to now about... Hey, let me do the next thing brilliantly well. And of course, I'm not saying that I don't understand business or I don't understand finance or I don't understand fundraising and valuation. I do understand and I think it's very important, but I don't get obsessed by it as I would have four or five years ago. I, I, my point is you build the right product, build the right services, deliver and everything else will be fine. But yeah, it's been a very important journey from an individual as well. It's a very, very different person compared to seven years ago. That's fascinating because I think also the field that you chose, I think, is also, you know, the road that is traveled by very, very few people. I mean, election polling business in India. I mean, you sort of go and speak about it to the bigger corporations, you know, they would distance themselves away and they'll say that that's not our cup of tea because, you know, the way business is done, the way election polling is done, though, I think, you know, it has also come a long way with actually political leaders now having a more modern outlook. And, you know, they've all understood the importance of evidence and research and trends. So how was that journey? I mean, you know, you you wanted to do something in election polling. Election polling in India typically tends to be more seasonal with the local state and then federal elections sort of going in cycles, though. I mean, it's a huge country. So but again, I think from what I've heard, the entry point into that space is also very difficult. I mean, it's it's not a structured path that, you know, you go, you apply for a bid, you get that job. So how did you start in that space? And then I know that, you know, you came up with a new platform, you yeah, know, which you'll yeah. definitely share, but but just yeah, help yeah. us, you know, on that aspect. So the election polling bit is, there are two parts. Maybe now I would say there are three parts. The first part is the the thing that you run for media firms, which I think the Nielsen's and the Ipsos's are, and there are a lot of players in that space. Then there is a second one, which is for politicians. There's peer play, politicians, private work, usually at the party headquarters level, or even at an MLA, MP level. So that's that's the second. And the third one, which I think we have been and a lot of other players have started getting and is the consumer side where you get the consumers themselves to fund or be a part of kind of a prediction exercise or a polling exercise because the consumer engagement is huge now. And that's also a space where you can uh, monetize. But coming back to this journey, I didn't have a great experience with the, the media partnerships and all that. We did a few here and there. I didn't enjoy them because for them, the entire thing was a headline. And, and so it was okay. I think that's something they needed and they wanted to do it and it was fine, but we were not adding value there. And that, that is some, so I did that for about a year or so. And then I said, no, this is not, I want to get into hardcore stuff. And fortunately we got a, quite a few breaks uh, with quite a few political leaders 
couple of them who were chief ministers as well and so we had a very very kind of useful and learning journey over the last between 2000 i would say i think 15 all the way to 2019 so four years of it hardcore where we had a big team so i was obviously doing research but there were others in my in, in the team as well doing different different things so uh, somebody was doing what you call digital marketing somebody was doing television there were a couple of other segments that i don't want to talk about but yeah there were a lot of things that were happening and and yeah it is a it is a fascinating business because the political engagement is very very complex and we have the same problem that we have on the client side the politician whether is a party president or a candidate okay either guy both all of them have reached that level without too much of research so the mindset and thinking is i can probably do without it and they always have a trusted associate or bunch of associates some old professor or some guy who's helped him win the last election and you know things like that so you're always interacting with politicians with that on your head and then there are and there are politicians who think yeah they got to do it and then they will have you to do it they have another person to do the same thing and a third person to do the same thing with minor variations here and there but a lot of really good work i think the favorite work that we did was not in polling by the way it was not we were helping a very large party to kind of engage with the ruling party in the floor of the assembly and you know to day to day legislative work so we did a lot of legislative work and it was fun because when you identify pressure points on the government the government tends to you know find a compromise and it actually benefits people it really benefits people and so that was i think the highlight of the entire thing uh, but otherwise uh, politics is a very complex business what i think most people i mean i don't let me just pull back there but i think that there is a very certain naive naivety on how people think politics is done definitely in in india i can say and i'm sure it applies to all the other countries which is the level of non political factors that come into play in election which are invisible is very very high it is and people don't want to see it don't want to hear from it we have seen it we have seen it in i think in 19 very very closely where the election was being decided by a bunch of people unrelated to the voters and the kind of things they were doing was actually intervening in the election process and they were doing it and people were pretty okay with it as well so i think that kind of naivety is the problem and therefore yes from purely from a democracy angle i think we are a very very early stage democracy let me call it we are at least 50 years from being slightly mature not to say corruption doesn't exist everywhere so all over the world there is corruption somewhere higher somewhere lower um, and and so on but it's not just about corruption it's also about vision it is about how do you want to implement the vision how do you accommodate the thing about politics is you want to take everybody along not because you don't want opposition because it is the most optimal thing to do how do you take at least most people along in a journey that takes the country the state the district the even the cooperative society to a level that would have been most optimal and that is the journey i think as researchers that is our job to go back and tell that but what we end up doing instead is finding out what is most optimal for 51% of the vote and that i think was a big turn off that the idea of polling outside an election is not 51% of the vote but it is about how do you uh, move the needle to take most people along and an optimal path which is good overall for the country or for the state or the city as the case may be so a lot of such things the low point i think however was this that we were doing exactly the same thing that i mentioned which is doing a lot of background research and we stumbled onto something that looked like corruption and and then we ended up in a situation where the ruling party and the opposition happily had a deal backroom deal and then there was no the corruption scandal just disappeared from the pages 
And so these things happen a lot. And so, yeah, at some point in time, I felt that, and I think while I was running through those four or five years, I was running through a lot of data. And I came to the stunning conclusion that actually politics can do a lot of mess, but good politics is not necessarily equal to good performance. It is not. In fact, there's a lot of other facts. So, so politicians can really muck up things, but can politicians transform a country dramatically or a state or a city? I think rarely they can, but rare, you know, there are pivotal situations like George Washington and so on and so forth. Very pivotal, you know, what you call Personalities. Um, yeah, Winston Churchill kind of pivotal times. Yes, in those times, you know, those, those matter a lot, but otherwise... I think even even they are part of a bigger machinery. They are part of a bigger system, yeah. right? And I think you know yeah. they they are also a cog in the wheel. If you just look at them with a perspective, of course, they are personalities. They are all over the news. So you know we probably in our minds hype them up, but they are still part of a machine, right? Yeah, because people forget. You no, know, people forget. I think for England as an example, or everybody thinks about how England fought bravely during World War Two, but they don't. They forget that that was the world superpower at that time. And a nine million British were ruling half the planet. And for me, you know, the most iconic imagery about the Brits was that they took a boat out of London or Southampton or a place like that. You know, really chilly winter, rainy winter, really depressing weather. Took the boat, went all along to Africa, then you know, took the whole turn around the Cape of Good Hope, and then came in a bunch of a society that is willing to endure so much pain. It has much more than a Winston Churchill alone that must be driving that society. And that, I think I've, and that's the thing that at least I learned in my two years in the UK about how important as a national culture, persistence, independence, pace, those things matter a lot. And I think those things are a much better determinant of a, a society's success than whether the prime minister or the chief minister is good or bad. If the society is sufficiently independent, open-minded, willing to put in the hard work is very persistent, then you will tend to see them do really well. And that applies to any society. And that is one of the things. So that is when I realized that, you know, okay, I've done enough of this. <laughs> Let me pivot a little bit. And the crowd wisdom came in from there because I saw a lot of consumer interest. And I felt that it was our responsibility to tell voters in a, in a very unusual way where things are and, you know, give them a kind of a window to things that they would not know. And so that was the journey. That is how we, we moved. I pivoted away from working with politicians. And once I started giving information to consumers, I stopped working with politicians. It was, uh, it couldn't, you couldn't do both. It was going to be conflict of interest. So that stopped immediately after. You are stuck in an elevator. You know, there's an investor who you can actually pitch crowd wisdom to. In 30 seconds, explain it to our audience what that platform is and what it really does. Crowdwisdom is a gaming website that enables people to participate or to enjoy from their own ability to predict events. It's, it's a very simple way. That's what it is. Come there, play and go. It's, that's the core of the proposition. Yeah. And it's a gaming platform. But it is meant, it is designed for people interested in politics or sports to predict and go. And we were uh, one of the earliest prediction platforms in the country. Now, of course, there are many, but yeah, that was that was it. Politics, I think we're still probably one of the biggest. Yeah. So if as a user, I, I log into your platform, I mean, how do I get engaged? What are the engagement principles? I understand that these are games, but these are games uh, designed around surveys and, you know, taking my opinion or there's much mm, more to that. Yeah, platform. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it's evolved that over time, right? And now we have kind of settled to a, it's actually a trading platform. So you actually trade, you actually, it's like a stock trade. And you can buy and sell whatever is the prediction. So for example, a prediction as an example would be that 
the particular ruling party will win 100 seats in this election and we have certain odds put behind it and say the odds or the, the chance of this happening is 75% so it will be available at certain price and then we let the buyers and sellers determine what is the right price so as we reach the fag end of the election you will get to see what we hope is the right kind of price and there is money involved as well but there are certain rules and laws in india so you can't put money behind your prediction but you can put money to participate in a game and then there is a separate payout system that we built in but it is a very simple proposition the more there is a demand for a certain prediction the price goes up so for example i remember in 2019 the the prediction that bjp will win 350 plus seats finally the last trade was at 69 out of 100 so uh, just before the results were out it was 69 or 100 which says it's a high pro- not high probability but medium to high probability event a high probability event is a 95 and so on most intriguing one was recent where mamta banerjee was contesting with the two in bengal and what we found there was that the it was a 5149 and that was the result by the way that was the final result i think she lost by a few hundred votes and i'm bringing india examples here but we did a lot of elections we did brazil we did pakistan we did the us we did uk we did israel uh, we are now uh, just about to launch germany we were we did a very elaborate exercise in sri lanka but we used this gaming platform throughout because that is the best way because at the moment people have paid a subscription fee a small subscription fee a token in fact and then are beginning to play the game they're very careful about the trades they make they just don't buy every trade and they are of course bit risk averse but we give them very few because we give a game currency that they can use they don't use the real money so we use we give them a game currency but we give them a very limited number of it so now to decide whether i'm going to go, go behind a or b or c and so it's it's designed like a it's a survey but it's designed in a gaming format so people can kind of do it quickly and come back and we let them trade as well so if they want to change their mind 5 days down the line they come and you know change their position and it depends if the price is very high from where they bought great you make a kind of you add so your idea is to optimize your points the more the points you optimize the higher the reward that you will earn so you should be the highest so yeah that's it's a very simple game but you got to be passionate about it to come and play the game and yeah people do come uh, a lot of hundreds sometimes yeah what's your average visitorship like i mean how many people around the world have taken the subscription or you know visited your platform and you know played the game because i think you know this is actually based on a stock market principle you know the demand supply and yeah. and i think that's a very refreshing take of making you know research data available you know to people by the people for the people and of the people right i mean as we call it so help us understand that uh, because i think that will just probably intrigue more to join no i think two parts one is i don't want to throw our subscription numbers out in the public domain okay. for really sure. legitimate reasons one is we right now in a funding state and we have actually a rival okay. uh, right now just launched so i'll be okay. doing them a big favor and they've got funded <laughs> more than we have so yeah so but in terms of the kind of traffic over the last 2 3 years we've had millions visiting our platform both in india from india and the us these have been our top two countries in the us presidential elections i think we used to have 50000 people a day coming in from the us alone so we have had fairly large numbers of people and even now i think in an election month it would easily cross more than a million uh, visits across our platform so it's a fairly large number but in terms of the game participation is a little bit of a tricky thing so when you ask people to predict an election right they will all have, all have a number particularly if you go to any of these communities which are focused towards politics and ask them who is going to win how much and they'll give you a number so the moment you ask them to pay a subscription then ask them to predict start to become a lot more cautious 
so the conversion from the millions to then you know the numbers tends to be a little uneven it is not correct a traditional survey where people have just have to click a couple of buttons they have to think through and say is this price at 40 the right price is it at 80 and we have done a lot of codes there to tell them what a 40 is or what a 80 is so it also appears in different colors so for example a prediction that is a, has a low chance of happening actually is you have see a red button there or something that sort tells you you know if you're going to buy this be careful because this seems to be the market is pricing it at a very low level similarly if the, the if somebody is trying to sell off a particular prediction and it, it it's in green indicates the market thinks this event will happen and the when a event happens you get a very high payout so the understanding of the game and the fact that you have to pay and the chances of you losing the money whatever small sum sums of money i mean it's like less than a dollar in most cases so it's not a very large sum of money but the, when money is in then everybody kind of starts to think twice but we've had a very large amount of people many of them coming back again and again election after election and they take their own time spend more the time to come and do it so yeah yeah large number of people who come to see the number conversion tends to be a little low lower side when it comes to actually playing the game if anybody is interested in this platform how can they access this is it only a browser based do you have an app can you just give some more details we are on android and the android is an apk we can't post that android on google because uh, there is money involved and google doesn't let you so there is an apk on our website otherwise you go to crowdwisdom360.com and you can pick up the games that you want to play we also have a lot of surrounding stuff as well we have blogs and we have quizzes which all go around the topics that we cover so uh, one thing is that i must be very clear that why we started off in politics uh, today i think 70% of our traffic comes for non-political work, which includes financial services, which is stock market and equity market. We have a very large coverage of the US markets now, which is Bitcoin and things like that. And so equity markets as well. And then there's entertainment, particularly Big Brother and Big Boss. All of them, we, we turn them into prediction events. Movies are down for the last two years, unfortunately. Others that would have been a big area for us. And so, yeah, these three, four areas, Netflix, stuff like that. So we have politics and then, of course, sports. is the second biggest market a lot of sports related predictions that we have for example we'll have the premier league next month so we'll start off a set of games around the premier league so yeah it's very simple come there and see what event uh, that you're interested in and then you know start playing the event that's it and the experience is standard across browser or mobile phone i mean is it is it device agnostic yeah it is device agnostic it is it's probably more easier on the mobile phone because you can swipe the predictions you don't have to so you can swipe one way or the other so it's simpler on the mobile on the desktop you can't do that but the desktop is obviously a huge screen so it kind of tends to you can see the blogs on the side you can before you predict you can do a google search look at the opinion polls all of that will be there in the content we we enable them by you know giving them all the information we also do a lot of other analysis for example we do google trends analysis trying to use historical google trends data to predict elections as well we've done that for the last i think 4 years it's an idea we borrowed from someone but we've used it quite extensively so we empower them to get the prediction right our idea is for them to get the prediction right not for them to get the prediction wrong and this is something that we keep telling participants sometimes because they're worried about losing money but we're saying we're there to help you to get it right you know what information are you looking for but it's not a perfect science i mean even we have gone wrong sometimes much more than we would normally would have gone wrong and uh, yeah and then you get a lot of brickbats you know from people because people are worried about whether my party has won or lost whereas we are worried about whether the prediction is true or not true as researchers but yeah that's an emotion that i think very few people understand but that's okay <laughs> subhash 
This is a very interesting venture. What are the plans to scale up and are there any plans to diversify this particular business or are you on to another thing along with this? So yeah, we have kind of hived off the B2B side. We were doing a lot of enterprise work using all the capabilities that we have. So that enterprise work is of course now out of crowd wisdom and we've started Sprint Studio, which kind of takes some of the learnings, not all, some of the learnings from crowd wisdom and we'll roll that out. And I think uh, when we roll it out, people will understand which part of it has kind of been rolled, uh, picked up from crowd wisdom. But I think that the that business is going to continue in its own path. There are a couple of new uh, partnerships we are uh, exploring and we are we are actually making headway on that. And that would, if it goes through, then we'll go international because that's the direction we are thinking of, in fact, quite a bit, both. And we are increasing our traffic mix has changed quite a bit. I think we are now 40, 45% international. By the way, people from your region, Philippines, for example, is a very big market. Singapore is a decent-sized market. So these are two markets in, the, in, in your region, for example. But U.S. is our second biggest market. We want U.S. in the next three, four months, maybe end of the year, to be our biggest market. Uh, U.S. has a lot of diversity. But the main reason also is that the revenue realization is much better. A much better revenue realization. So that is another reason. But we continue to be big in India. We are now on most opinion polls. You will see us on the first page of Google. So that's going to be there. But yeah, it is going to be more expansion, more international expansion. The gaming, uh, we are looking at one or two partnerships that will close in the next few weeks. And then we'll head in a certain direction there. But it will be out of the corporate research part completely. I mean, we're just in the final stages. We're still executing some projects. Uh, but we just kind of, there are some places where Crowd Wisdom is registered as a partner or a vendor in all the documentation. So that's being kind of, you know, that part is still there. But otherwise, we are transitioning to this new entity, Print Studio, which will then be only a B2B or other corporate research wing. And Crowd Wisdom will be pure play B2C platform. Right. But the fundamentals governing both the platforms will be the same or will there be any difference between Sprint AI or sort of Crowd Wisdom? Or will it yeah. still be a like a gaming-based engagement platform or you know there are more services that you are also trying to add through sprint ai both in sort of you know research and technology field so i know you picked up one very important part but that's not the dimension we are, we are kind of expanding into sprint and sprint has other other partners as well so they have their other own partners vision. as well okay yeah a vision of how we have to move forward so you will see a bit of what we learned at crowd wisdom there and, and it will be visible as very important elements of that bit but so Sprint is about speed, very clearly. And Crowd Wisdom was about speed, always about speed. I, I, something that I didn't speak earlier, but in all our client engagements in Crowd Wisdom, it was all about how do we do, whether it's election surveys for you know, our partners who in turn were working for political parties, which was always about two days, three days, one day, and, and so on. And it's very important in their kind of space because they can respond with. And I think we were one of the first ones when we've turned around a project, uh, I think in three days. Very large study, which obviously used our gaming principle uh, that we had developed. And that we said that, you know, Rajni Kant is not, it's not going to work out. It's a very bad idea. But I think we released the results on a weekend. And then I think Monday or Tuesday, he had announced saying, I'm not doing this. So speed was a very important part. The second part was cost. And one of our core promise was to cut down the cost by one tenth. And we did that. So these were two core promises. But where we really struggled on crowd wisdom and we still continue to struggle is on the accuracy bit. We, we were obviously delivering better accuracy than most other firms, but it was a little inconsistent. Our last election uh, four months back was not very good at all. It was a bad experience, but we've had some very good elections. And then, you know, so it's better than the average research firm, 
but i think it's it's still and it's it's something that we are collaborating with a re- leading iim who have been studying this data for a long time and they're advising us on what can be done or cannot be done so that is a that's a partnership we have but the core promise was speed and uh, cost and sprint as you can say suggests speed so we will be uh, that element will re- be replicated we are going to be a sprint speed based firm and uh, on cost i don't know right now at the moment in fact to be very honest uh whether we will replicate the cost uh, to be honest we can but will we i'm not certain about it because i think you also remarked very early in the call whether about cost and you know how cost plays out and how speed plays out and how do we play that game i think on speed i think we are fairly kind of all of us are convinced it's the right direction on cost i'm not certain even if we can deliver low cost we are not sure that's the direction we'll go so that those are some of the calls we'll take over the next month or so or two months because we'll go to a lot of clients talk to them understand how these play out and then go around go because the, at the end of the day business decision as well it's not just a fancy academic uh, discussion that i can turn around a thousand sample survey in half a day very good so what uh, so we got to be very clear what this so what is and is it really adding value to clients so yeah that's the thing but speed yes the core promise of the new platform will be speed but yeah there are a lot of nuances there that we are playing and um, yeah we're working on it right now Seven years back, Subhash, you pivoted from a hardcore agency role to becoming a tech entrepreneur within Research Fraternity. I think, like you mentioned in the call when you started, you weren't sure as to you know what kind of surprises you know you'll face. But I think it was a steep learning curve, and I think last seven years have been have been very good. And you know you've been very fortunate that you sort of took that kind of leap. How do you look at yourself ten years down the line? Will you again have to reinvent yourself? sort of will you have to do because i think now you're closer to technology you are closer to that speed and pace at which transformation is happening so when you sit in your living room you know sipping a glass of whiskey how do you sort of you know really look at yourself in next 10 to 20 years what will you have to do to be relevant to be interesting to be engaging and why yeah. i ask that question in a different way is we can learn from <laughs> your wisdom and i think the crowd can learn from your wisdom you know <laughs> i'm not uh, yeah i'll i'll think i'll pull back on that part of it about what people can learn because every learning curve is different but what i visualize what i imagine is the is the right place is that 10 years down the line when we look at research and insights etc i believe that they should be available at the you know kind of a press of a button they should be including the complex algorithms that we spoke about hopefully by then our ability to model many of these things it is actually getting better even today many of my friends who are in analytics are modeling fairly advanced models but how do we kind of reach that place where a lot of this will be available on a you know kind of a you know let's say we have to meet 1500 respondents can we do that in an hour basically goes out in an hour you press a couple of buttons the respondents reply back then you press a button the output is in the machine the siri maybe says hey you got to do this five things here are the five action points okay so in reality we are heading in that direction when can we achieve it in 10 years i'm not i don't know but i think if we have moved in that journey quite a bit then i think we'll be very happy which includes library of action plans a very strong algorithm that kind of picks out what works what doesn't work from inside the organization from outside the organization and, and so on so forth so very very elaborate environment where we would actually be sitting on our computers and pressing a few buttons and getting this perspective i believe we are headed in that direction nobody can stop it whether it is in 10 years or maybe 15 years in matter of debate but that's the place we will go and in fact just like i don't know if you watch terminator right there was this hand that this guy creates and then eventually the hand becomes terminator and keeps coming back from the past i think the hand is there today 
the hand is here it's already here and we can see it and i think my business partner uh, and very long term friend shweta she was quite surprised because she was in kantar and then she moved out of kantar now it's like four months and she says there is a completely large world outside and we can absolutely as long term very very traditional researchers old fashioned in some ways i mean in terms of how we looked at research and if you open your mind you can really kind of take it so i think if you ask me what i would do and what i would encourage everyone to do is total football go back to johan cruyff be open be willing to do anything and i'll tell you one very interesting uh, thing for quant researchers if you are not doing qual if you are not touching qual today you're going to be in a lot of trouble you have to be in qual is is going to be huge qual is needed it is i'm telling you as a very traditional quant researcher qual is needed and as a qual quant researcher you got to learn how to do qual you got to embrace qual and ai and ml i don't think i want to everybody knows that is important the other very intriguing skill that i picked up in the last 3 or 4 years it's a fun skill but it's very important is digital marketing so i am uh, fairly very very comfortable with search engine optimization i do optimize pages which are in the top page in the first page whether it's in india or the us and so on a lot of fun in that but um, that's an area that you got to learn and doing digital marketing has changed my perspective of what kind of recommendations we give clients today compared to i would have done 7 years ago it would you instead of it being generic you would go down to specific actions because you did it so you weren't telling a client why a client should choose a display campaign versus a community oriented campaign versus an aggregated campaign versus a e-commerce campaign versus a search engine optimization campaign why would you choose this five i think for me it's a relatively easier job because i actually did it hands on while i was running crowdwisdom so that again i think that is an area that you know digital is an area you absolutely and not things like you got to spend more money on digital you know or creatives are not doing well i think we have al- always done that we have always done that but can you go and tell why a search is a better campaign than a display and why a community oriented program is essentially necessary for you as a brand because of where you are on the purchase funnel at the moment or where you are underperforming at the purchase funnel i think that part of digital marketing is something i think every researcher should pick up for me that is the case but just like how we have stumbled upon many of these things i'll leave it to fate to kind of stumble upon i'm not a guy who will go to an online course and learn and so on i'm not that kind of person i'm the person who will do things so whatever new thing comes to do we'll do it and learn along the way but the mind has to be very open otherwise you kind of get into a rut but again i'm not saying that if you're doing not doing any of these things you're in a bad place life is good either way that's a huge learning whatever you're doing if you're happy with it it's good go i don't worry about it and if anybody is telling you you are stagnating your life is not moving tell them to go to hell <laughs> sorry for the choice of words but i think that's what i've learned i might be a person who's constantly you know active and trying to 100 things but it's not right to expect everyone to do that and it is not even right to judge them for not being like that just do and this is something that i want to be very careful particularly on linkedin to tell how life has to be lived for example happiness is important contentment is important learning is important i am very hesitant in uh, saying such motherhood statements if you want to be sad all your life please be maybe that is good for you if you don't want to learn anything if that's good for you please do it if you don't want to dress up well don't dress up well you want to be overdressed overdressed you want to go and jump somewhere and do it do whatever you want to do i don't think uh, let society and you know anybody including me come and tell you what is the right way and if you're a junior researcher today says this is all rubbish i'm i think you're right So, because you think it is rubbish and it's good for you, it's it's okay. And if you're wrong, okay, which, which sometimes might be the case, it, that is also a learning, right? You go along the way and realize, hey, I think somebody said something. I should have done it. But that's also good. You should go through disappointment 
to learn what the happiness is because without going through the bad days you don't know what are good days <laughs> it's reality very quickly so that you know we can just make this absolutely tangible for our audience digital marketing i think has helped you you know to give better recommendations what resources would you advise you know folks who are watching this to log into and you know sort of get trained on digital marketing because there are all sorts of courses out there these days but which no resources would you rely on this is this is my way of doing things no courses so all i would say is open a blog and ensure that your blog uh, on any topic that you are interested in is in the first page of google so to do that you got to read up a lot of material which you can find on the internet but um, open a blog open a facebook page uh, open a facebook community page a group facebook group a facebook page these three things you do and then try to see if you can get traffic to those pages do it hands on and then you will you will learn a lot of things because when you go back to a video and they tell you do this you know what you're what they're talking about it doesn't become theoretical stuff so i would think these are two three things you do uh, yes upload a youtube video uh, so a few of these things i think uh, make a video and upload it i think it's four five practical things if you do and then read up stuff you will find it to be very very useful and anybody can learn this anybody I think Subhash I can go on for another 30 minutes because there's so much to discuss and you know there's so much to talk about and there's so much to learn especially I think from your experience but I think I had an absolutely fantastic session and I hope that once you get through this phase and launch your new venture in sort of coming days you know we can have you back again to sort of you know discuss more about it thank you so much for actually coming on my show and it was an absolute pleasure to hear your thoughts on different aspects of our industry and technology Thanks a lot Saurabh for having me it was a pleasure talking to you and uh, yeah quite a pleasure thank you so much thank you you've been listening to recast with me Saurabh Sardana if you like what you heard subscribe to our show on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you listen don't forget to leave a review and rating on your favorite episode also if you want to chat with me connect with me on linkedin or twitter